So Jesse Owens beat um, Matthew Robinson, and we have never heard of Matthew Robinson. Matthew Robinson also came in second when it came to his family, because he had a brother by the name of Jackie Robinson. After the first Negro player to play for professional baseball. Very well known, everybody knows number 45, there have been movies about him. And again, good old Matthew Robinson, his highest achievement in life after the Olympics was he became a janitor in a high school. When I heard about this, I thought a little bit about Joshua. Joshua was a very significant person. He led the children of Israel into the promised land after Moses died. But who's ever really thought about Joshua that much? Uh, in the um, Haftorah readings, the book of Joshua is only used twice. Amos is used uh, more often than Joshua is. Uh, we just don't give Joshua the credit that he's due. In fact, in the movie The Ten Commandments, there's only one moment where Joshua's coming down Mount Sinai with Moses, and some woman is standing going, Joshua! And that's the only mention of Joshua in the entire movie. Um, what's interesting about Joshua, and we all heard of him back in um, Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, he was the one who, when they sent out 12 spies, he and Caleb came back and all the other spies were saying, no, 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 we can't go into the promised land. There are giants there. They'll defeat us. We can't have war against them. And Joshua and Caleb were the ones who said, yeah, we can do it. God's on our side. We can defeat these people. Uh, he was a warrior. He was a servant of Moses. And yet we very, very seldom hear about him. Throughout the book of Joshua, especially in the beginning, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Which is interesting, because he, he already was strong and courageous. He said we can defeat the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and everybody else. And he had the faith that because God was on our side, we could do it. I was, before I start, I asked um, Matt, how do you pronounce his, last na his name? It's Joshua, son of N-U-N. I said, did you say Nun or Nun? And he said, probably Nun, which destroys a joke, because I was going to ask, who in the Bible, besides Adam and Eve, had no parents? Joshua, son of Nun. But now you can't say that. It's, it's Nun. But then you can tell stories about Sister Mary Margaret, the famous Nun. Um, next week we're going to talk about um, the Ark. We'll mention Rahab, uh, the Battle of Jericho, uh, how the sun stood still in chapter 10, uh, the inheritance of the tribes. Um, that's next week, if any of you want to come back after this. Um, this week we're talking about crossing into the Promised Land, uh, his actual encounter of seeing Jesus, and um, Aachen, in ch chapter 7, uh, the Battle of Ai, in chapter 8, um, and chapters 23 and 24, with uh, Joshua who served the Lord. Actually, I think it's probably one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. And yet, again, it's the book of Joshua. We don't really pay that much attention to it. Moody actually has a, um, Moody Radio has an ad going on. Uh, where take, do a takeoff of uh, who wants to be a millionaire. There's commercials about who wants to go to heaven. And they give a guy uh, four, answers, four questions. 
The first is uh, you have to be really, really good. The second is you have to go to church every Sunday. Uh, the third was something else. And the fourth is uh, have faith and trust in Jesus. The book of Joshua is all about having faith and trust. That's the basic theme. It's also the theme, as, uh, as David talked about today, it, the theme is that God keeps his promises. He can't lie. The prom- entering the promised land, the promised land was a gift by God to the to children of Israel. The concept it correlates very strongly with going to heaven, uh, with being saved, because it's, grace is a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. And yet here we are going into heaven because we're saved, and the children of Israel went into the promised land because it was just God's grace, God's promise to them. If you look in, at um, chapters 1, Verses 6 through 9. Chasat, be strong. Actually, most, most translations have be strong and courageous. We just say be strong. We repeat chazak in um, Hebrew, so we've doubled it. For you will lead these people to inherit, not to earn, not to deserve, but to inherit the land I swear to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and resolute to observe diligently the Torah which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right, so you may be successful wherever you go. Please know that a lot of people think that we obey Torah because we're trying to earn our way into heaven. We're trying to earn our salvation. We don't do it to earn salvation. We do it so that things will go well with us. The children of Israel were already going into the land. They still had to observe Torah so that things would go well with them within the land. This book of the Torah should not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous and then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you, Chazad, be strong. Do not be terrified or dismayed, for Adonai your God is with you wherever you go. Get into the mindset that we are observing Torah, not to gain anything, but just to love God so that he will bless us. We can't expect a blessing from him unless we're willing to do what he asks. The land itself represents salvation, but the observance of Torah represents our sanctification. Remember that Yeshua says that that heaven is like a mansion with many rooms, and he's preparing one for us. He's preparing a room for us. Um, Not everybody's going to get the same room. We're not going to all have the same views. We're not going to have the same size room. He's preparing a room for us based on who we are. But also, I like to just the whole idea of the inheritance that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can be looked upon as uh, remember the prodigal son, where he wanted his inheritance. You know, he, um, he, it was something that he felt was a right. It was something that should be given to him, and he wanted it now, not even when his father died. Um, whereas when God gives us inheritance, which He does. 
the whole concept is that it's something that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned, and he's just going to give it to us. There was, um, right before they marched into the uh, Promised Land, they had to cross the Jordan River. And a couple of things had to happen before they were ready to cross the Jordan. First, the men had to be circumcised. Most of them are pretty, you know, it's easy when you're an eight-day-old baby. You really don't have a choice and something comes upon you and you scream in pain. You don't know what's going on. But when you're an adult male and you're being circumcised, that shows a lot of dedication. Uh, in fact, they had to wait until all the men were healed before they could cross over. They also celebrated Passover before they crossed over. For 39 years, they had a Passover when they left Egypt. A year later, they celebrated the anniversary. But they haven't had a Passover for 39 years. And now, before they go into the Promised Land, they're celebrating Passover again. Passover, to us, is all about leaving Egypt. But as Messianic Jews, it's also about the coming of Messiah, the freedom that we'll get from sin. Um, interesting note that when they crossed over, manna stopped. Again, for 39 years, they had manna. Every day, you go out there, you pick up your manna. Fridays, you pick up a double load, so you don't have to work on Saturday. And boom, it stops. It must have been an incredible shock to them, but it was God saying that now you'll be fending for yourself, you'll be working, you'll be earning your own food. I'll be blessing you by giving you this food, but I'm not giving you just manna anymore. Chapter 5, we have what I think is one of the most interesting chapters. Um, it's called a Theophanies, which is when Yeshua appears in the Bible, in the Old Testament, as a person before he's even born in Matthew, which shows that he always was from the beginning of time. In chapter 5, Lines, verses starting with verse 13 going to 15. Let me just read that. Now it came to pass when Joshua was near Jerusalem that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there was a man, a man, notice that, there was a, not an angel, but a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua approached him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Neither, he said. Rather, I have now come as a commander of Adonai's army. Then Joshua fell on his face to the ground and worshipped. Then he asked him, What is my Lord saying to his servant? Then the commander of Adonai's army replied to Joshua, Take your sandal off of your foot, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Very similar to the whole bringing bish bush where God told Moses to take off his sandals. What's intriguing is that Joshua worshipped. We don't worship angels. There are a couple of instances where there are angels and people were going to fall down. They said, no, don't worship me. I'm just a representative. I'm just here to tell you what God wants. But the moment that Joshua fell on his face, he acknowledged that this man was God. If you ever want to witness to a Jewish person and they're, oh, I don't believe in Jesus, he's not for us, turn to Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, 
Ask him to explain, how is the commander of the Lord's army talking to Joshua? And Joshua, Joshua worships him. If this isn't God. What was also interesting, just as a little aside, is how Joshua asks him, are you on our side or our adversary various side? He thinks of it as human terms, earthly terms. Whose side are you going to be on? As compared to as compared to the commander of the army saying neither. You would think he would say, I'm going to be on your side. You're my man. You know, you're Joshua. You're cool. Mm -mm. I'm on neither side. Which shows us that not that he's going to be against us and side with somebody else, but that he could use somebody else to teach us a lesson. Throughout history of the Jewish people, we have sinned, we have gone astray, and God has used times uh, other people, the Babylonian Empire, the Nazi Germany, whatever, to, uh, Haman, to um, fight us, to bring us back to God. We have an example of this in um, chapter 7. There's a man named Achan. Uh, we've been, the Israelites were told when you take Jericho, you're going to destroy the town, don't take any plunder. This changes later on. They were allowed to plunder different cities that they take over. But for this one, don't take any plunder. And one man, Achan, he takes some. He takes some silver, some gold. The idea that the next battle the Israelites lose because this man had taken everything the one disobedience of one weak man affected the next battle for Israel just as through Abraham his one sin has affected all of us in this example this one man Achan his one sin affected all of Israel Verses 6 through 9, I think it was worth reading, though. Joshua then tore his, when he hears about this, um, Joshua then tore his clothes and fell to the ground on his face before the ark of Adonai until evening, both he and the elders of Israel. And he put dust on their heads. Alas, Adonai Elohim, Joshua said, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? Is it to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been content and dwelled, among the dwelled beyond the Jordan. Oh my Lord, what can I say, now that Israel has turned its back before its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land hear of it, they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Here's Joshua, who's already seen God face to face, who has been at Moses' right hand for 40 years, who had great faith to tell all of Israel, we can take over the land. And at this moment, he loses faith. That happens to us. That happens to us a lot. It happens often. Where we're hoping for the job and it doesn't come through. We're hoping for the wife or the husband. We don't get it. Uh, we're hoping for a raise. We don't get it. The message here is don't lose faith. You're not going to get everything you want. You might want to search your heart as far as where is sin, but there is no reason to have faith, uh, to lose faith. This is 
I think mirrors the apostles and the disciples after the crucifixion. When, uh, well, we thought this guy was going to be the Messiah, and now he's dead and buried. They lost faith. They didn't show up for a couple of days. Until some women said to them, hey, he's risen. Um, We tend to be very, very quick and very, very easy to brush off God's promises to us. Going back a little bit to verse 7, uh, verse 3 in chapter 7. When they returned to Joshua, they reported to him that not all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go and strike Ai. So don't wear out all the people there, for they are just a few. They didn't listen to God. They took matters into their own hands. One of the biggest problems I see among t- today is when we know what we want, we know God will or will not give it to us, but we take matters into our own hands. I used to, before I became a believer, I was very much into uh, the occult, into clairvoyancy especially, where I would go to um, palm readers and card readers and clairvoyance and um, TV readers and that type of thing. It was very, there was a lot of that going on in New York City in the 70s. And I remember once uh, a reader told me that I was going to get a job in May. Fine. So a couple of months before that, I didn't bother looking for a job. In May, I went looking for a job. There were a couple of interviews to go on. And, or, you know, if, God, if I'm going to get this job, it's going to come whether I go to three interviews or one interview or whatever. So I put my faith in the clairvoyancy that I'm going to get a job. And I went to a couple of interviews and stopped going, and I didn't get a job. Um, that's when I realized, you know, you really can't trust this clairvoyance. That was one of the times when I really turned to God, knowing that, God, I've sinned, and um, this just isn't the right way of going about life. In chapter 8, um, Things have turned around for Joshua and his armies. They've become victorious. I love the line 34. I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version here. I'm just taking a little parts. Then afterwards, he read all the words of the Torah, blessing and curses, according to all that is written in the book of the Torah. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel including the women and the little ones and the outsiders walking among them. So here is, it's not some, something just for the men. It was also for women. It was also for children. And it was for the Gentile walking with them. He read the entire Torah to them. This was in the moment of thanksgiving after, after victory. What happened was, again, you know, we learn and we do and then we fall back. In chapter 9... Um, just turn quickly to verse 14. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not seek counsel from Adonai's mouth. So Josh, this is when um, a tribe that they were told don't make covenants with these people and these people came and tricked them into a covenant. So Joshua made peace with them and cut a covenant with them 
to let them live. And the leaders of the community swore to them. How can you not seek God's counsel if you've seen all of his miracles and how he's affected your life? Um, but yet again, don't we do that same thing constantly? In chapter 11, I think we have a really good answer for this. Chapter 11, verse 20. For it was Adonai to harden their hearts to encounter Israel in battle, that they might be put to the ban, that they might receive no mercy, in order to destroy them as Adonai had commanded Moses. It was the people who they were going to conquer at the time that had their hearts hardened. If Adonai can harden their hearts, he can also harden our hearts so that we will want to obey him more after we get the penalty of having a hard heart. Um, this is, there are moments in the story of Joshua that are pretty violent. Entire cities, entire nations are wiped out by the Israelites. Uh, even the cattle sometimes uh, is wiped out. Uh, and I always wondered why. If you remember, right before they crossed over, and right before these battles start, there was a Passover service. They celebrated Passover, which they hadn't done for 39 years. I don't think they did it then, but we have the tradition today of cleaning out the chemitz in our home, getting rid of the sin before the Passover starts. Here, by cleaning out the land, by getting rid of the people who do not worship Adonai, by taking the people who were hostile towards them, who had their own gods, by killing them, we are cleaning out the chumets of the land of Israel. Next week, I'm not getting into the story of Rahab today, um, but next week we'll talk about her and how she as a Gentile woman worshipped God, knew that Adonai was God, and she was saved. Just as an aside, we, there was a, I read a lot of commentaries on uh, Rahab as the, uh, the harlot, the prostitute that the two, the two spies went to. And some of, them, some of the commentaries didn't like the idea that you know, the spies that Joshua trusted went to a harlot. And some of them kind of said, um, well, no, 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 they knew she was a harlot, but they knew that by going to her, they wouldn't have any suspicion against them because men were going in and out of the harlot's house all the time. Chapter 21, verses 43, 45, I think, are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And this dovetails so beautifully with David's um, drush today. So Adonai gave to Israel the entire land that he had sworn to give to their fathers. They took possession and settled in it. Then Adonai gave them rest on all sides, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one man of all their enemies withstood them, for Adonai gave all their enemies into their hands. That one good thing that Adonai had promised to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. God keeps his promises. God doesn't lie to us. What we have to do, what's important, is interpreting what his promises are. We can't just assume that we're going to get married, or that we're going to get a job, or that we're going to get a raise, or that we're going to buy a beautiful big house or something. 
we have to see what is God promising us. And what he is promising us more than anything else is eternal life. Does anything else really, really matter? And can we say, oh God, you didn't keep your promise on the new car that I wanted. As compared to God, you kept your promise, I now have eternal life. Twenty-three ten is a big, big line. I hear pages ruffling. One of you can put a okay. Here he is talking about again to the children of Israel. One of you can put a thousand to flight for Adonai your God. He himself is fighting for you, just as he said to you. Incredible comfort that we should get to know that God is fighting for us. If we are believers, uh, yeah, we might have a test to study for, it might be difficult or paper to write. Uh, Yeah, there might be obstacles in the way, but God is fighting for us. And with his help, we can really overcome anything. Chapter 23, verses 15 to 16, we have... Now now it will be that just as all good things which Adonai your God has spoken to you have come upon you, so all the evil things will Adonai bring upon you until he has wiped you off this good land which Adonai your God has given you. Don't be too sure of yourselves. God has given us lots and lots of blessings, but he can wipe us off the land. I think that's an incredibly, incredibly important line for Israel today. I've never been to Israel, but everything I've heard about is that it's incredibly secular. That uh, there is, you know, very few places where they really keep Shabbat. Uh, they observe some holidays, but for the most part, it's not. I've spoken to some people from Israel. I said, "Do you keep all the holidays and everything?" And their feeling is, "No, we're doing enough just by living in the land." That's not enough. And if we read the Book of Revelation we will see very clearly that if you hated the Holocaust, wait, it's going to get even worse for the Jewish people. He may not wipe us off the land because he is keeping his promise to us to keep us, but it's really a possibility that we will be hurt. Let me just quickly, I will skip a few verses so that we can save a few things for next week. But the idea that one shows a uh, Page uh, chapter 24, I'll conclude with verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to worship Adonai, for he is holy, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not pardon your transgressions and your sins. Here he is, after reading the entire Torah to everybody, Joshua says to them, you will not be able to worship Adonai, for he is a holy God, a jealous God. This is clear reason why we have a Messiah. On our own, no matter how much we worship, no matter how much we love, it's not going to be enough. Remember Isaiah, when he sees God, oh my gosh, I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, We all sin, we all go astray. Joshua is aware of this. He tells the children, you will not be able to worship him. And therefore, he's given us a Messiah, God has given us a Messiah to help us with our, take away our sins. Like I said, next week we'll go into this uh, uh, from a different angle. 
Thank you for being here. Shabbat Shalom.